0: This is Jarvis Leatherby of the band Night Demon, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Ed Scott here. Richie. And we are back once again to talk more about Maiden. Our and Maiden. this is the third installment? Third. Yes. Okay. Now for some reason, I was thinking we should be further in, but we're not. So nope. the third. So this week, we're going over Maiden from 88 to 92. An interesting era, and I think about this as kind of prime richie era right here definitely yeah it's kind of sketchy for me but definitely i think prime for you which is kind of interesting as well as we go along with with the catalog as well there's kind of an ebb and flow of you know uh, personnel level of interest time to be able to be interested what else goes on in your life you know you figure you know, at the end of this, the same year fear of the dark is is issued. Is the year that my oldest daughter is born. So you start getting like dragged away for some other things. You may not have the time, um, and then just this is also interesting because there's a lot of personnel churn and there's a lot of stylistic churns in here as well. So it's a it's kind of an interesting three albums that we're talking about this week.
1: All for, all. In their own way, very different,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: um to each other mm-hmm. and to what came before
0: oh yeah definitely it's it's uh, it's like i said it's it 's interesting, I think that you probably spent like more time with these albums than I did now, you know, I spent a lot of time with with son, and then I even remember playing that on um when I had my show on uh on j u l that I would which was which one was that? So I had the Monday a Monday Metal show called The Invasion. And that was like Monday drive time. And I remember playing cuts off of Seventh Sun on that one. So yeah, um, you know, interesting. But uh I think, you know, going into it, right, they did, you know, we we left off with somewhere in time. So we know that, you know, they did the that uh The Somewhere on Tour, and this time I was actually smart enough to also just kind of get some statistics because we're always like, how many dates was that? And it was interesting for this, too. So the Somewhere on Tour, 151 dates. And we're talking about Europe, North America, and Japan. Uh, So then 88 they are doing uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Can I
1: play with madness?
0: It's also interesting because you've got CDs.
1: And no, I, I've, got, I've the got the vinyl, know, but okay. it's, it's framed and it's on the wall.
0: Oh, okay. I'll start with the cover. I was less than impressed by it. I kind of like the back cover more than I like the front cover. Solely because Eddie is way more apparent on the back cover. Where here he's kind of the stylized... And it's the classic on the back, mm. which shows me kind of kind of where my maiden psyche is. <laughs> this is like the raw shot blot test for me, right? <laughs> An interesting cover, but still, um, yeah, it, you know, I, I definitely stared at it a long time, just trying to f- figure it all out. I like the link back to somewhere in time with this, but then you know, the back, and it's kind of like, ooh, Eddie. Um, where here it's kind of like, yeah, I'm not ready to accept this as Eddie, even though it clearly is. So,
1: uh, Bef- but interesting. Before I get to the cover. Yeah. Um, this was the first new Maiden record since I got into metal. Hmm. Um, somewhere in time it came out. Yeah. And I discovered that it was already out. Right. Um, in 88... Yeah. Maiden to me were my favourite band. Okay. So this was a new maiden yeah. record.
0: Yep. Yeah. And again, like I was saying, prime, Richie, yeah. Maiden era, so right? I mean
1: yeah. I saw the video for Can I Play With Madness uh-huh. first. Yeah. Um I believe Top of the Pops actually showed it. Okay. Because Maiden at that stage, when they released the new single, uh, because of fan loyalty, mm-hmm. it charted pretty high. Yeah. Now it, it, it never stayed really in the charts right. because it didn't get any fucking airplay. Sure. Yeah. So the people that bought it the first week really were fans, and right. they pushed it in the charts. Right. And the I saw the video for "Can I Play it? Madness." Song three minutes long. Um. And then the day the album came out, I I can still remember this. I was in school, and we had a ninety-minute lunch break, and I walked into town the day it was released, uh-huh. and it was there and we had a music teacher uh, we, I, was, I went to Christian brother school uh, Brother Benedict and he had a stereo in, his, in the music room uh-huh. and he, there was nobody in there <laughs> so me and two guys went in uh-huh. and we put the Iron Maiden record on uh-huh. and we were playing it and he came in and he just looked at us, said, Is everything okay, guys? And we went, Yeah. And he just walked out. Because <laughs> I thought he was gonna say, you know, turn that crap off. Yeah. And uh, actually another time he came in, I had testaments, the new order on, and uh. I think I think Vim Almstein's odyssey. <laughs> and and he never threw me out, but uh, so thanks, Ben. Um but that was how big a maiden fan I was. Mm. That I didn't even want, want I couldn't wait to go home yeah. to hear it. I had to fucking put it on in the school yeah. on my break. Uh huh. Um and then I, I was of course, you, you you look at the, you know, it's a concept record, supposedly. Yeah, a, a exactly, yeah. Record, it, it, it's
0: a book that it's based on, I don't remember what yeah. it is, but yeah.
1: Um, the, the is there song. a real concept on it? It's loose. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the cover. Yeah. Opposite to, to Somewhere in Time, that was a very dark cover. Mm-hmm. That's a very bright cover. Right, and, and we know
0: that Derek got the instruction from from Rod, basically. Do something weird, and i love what that's he did what he with did. the
1: icebergs the eddie designs on, on on the back that the icebergs on the back are yeah all what's interesting is covers. that
0: that that kind of the iceberg thing kind of threw me off too that was part of what threw me off on this cover it's just i i, I don't know it was just yeah
1: what has ice got to do with what does the whole team of it got to do yeah with this concept? pretty much
0: yeah yeah so that's where yeah i kind of had a kind of harder time with it but definitely some good songs on here one thing i do and i probably should have pulled it out i really love the singles cover for can i play with madness yeah that's a great cover yeah i I really like that one but there were things that i liked on here definitely you know can i play with madness and evil that men do i i really liked but then there were other ones where this is kind of where they really start to get into the longer format songs not so much the longer format intros that would come later, but I think the longer format songs and some different pacing than they had before.
1: Okay. Um what do you make of the keyboards on it? We when they when they when they announced that they were having the keyboard player on the album, did you go, ah oh, shit?
0: Um, that didn't really bother me. That was is that is this is the one with Michael Kenny starts yeah. actually being on it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't that it was like, yeah. Only because, you know, there were other things that were going on with bands that were actually doing, you know, synthesized guitars on keyboards and stuff and bass stuff on there. And it was like, now nah, I'm all right. Well, if it fits, okay. And, I mean, you, you listen to this and go, okay, yeah, directionally, I guess it makes sense to have keyboards. So yeah, it didn't bother me that
1: much. I love Moonchild. Yeah. I, l- I love Infinite Dreams. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of the title track that I love. Uh, I think the guitar soloing at the end of the title track is fantastic. Hmm. Um, that had three singles on it um, in England. I don't know about over here. Uh, the Clairvoyant was a single. Right. Only the Good Die Young was a single. And Can I Play With Madness. I, I'm not a huge fan of the Can I Play With Madness really? now. It's 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 okay. Hmm. Um, what's the song that is it Dave Murray writes on? Is it The Prophecy? That's kind of a... a uh, that 's that Murray... Um, it's on side. It's on the second side. Yeah. Um that's a kind of an odd track. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, it's different. And, it's and, it's and it's kind parody. of different to everything else on on the on the record. Yeah, and I I really do like that song, but when you talk about concept records, and I think Dickinson has even alluded to this in interviews over the years. Everyone made a big deal about that, mm-hmm. and then Queensrÿche did Operation Mindcrime, right? Which was to me was the concept record.
0: Yeah, that definitely was a, a yeah. concept record. Yeah, yeah,
1: which was done way better than that That was.
0: Yeah, I think that,
1: and that it was was the I same think there was an
0: intent on here, and at some point they kind of lost the plot on it, and it ended up being a little bit more disparate than instead of being like a cohesive
1: Yeah, concept. it's kind of... It's based on something, and mm-hmm. the songs are kind of... You know, this yeah. is about this bit and this is about that. Bit. Right? It doesn't flow as a story. Correct. I don't think.
0: Yeah. So this is kind of a, a, a an early omen of of uh, Nostradamus, where again a, <laughs> we have a concept and it's kind of there, but it's kind of not. It's not as totally unrealized as some of the stuff that you know Roger Daltrey was thinking of or, or Pete Townsend was thinking of with the Who. But yeah, it, it. I think probably that was part of the other part of this is looking at this and going, okay, it's supposed to be a concept album? I'm not really getting the flow of what this is either. So yeah, but... Um,
1: and the other thing, and you know, people can say I'm wrong on this, but I don't think I am. I actually think that that album is shorter than Somewhere in Time. And I you'd think for a concept record, it be, might have been a little bit longer to maybe mm, elaborate it. And yeah. I think, I think in total that that album is about four or five minutes shorter than Somewhere in Time.
0: Could be, yeah. Yeah. I haven't looked, but yeah, it's possible. you know. And then, of course, they're supporting that right with the seventh tour of a seventh tour. So interesting on that one is...
1: Guns and Roses.
0: Well, they did 151 dates on the tour prior. This tour, they only did 98 dates.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they only did England and North America.
1: One of those dates was Donington.
0: Was their debut at Donington, yes. Um,
1: 100 and something thousand people? 170. I, I know a few f- friends of mine who went. Mm-hmm. Um, two people died. Yeah. Uh, I posted it. There was a, I've got a bunch of Kerangs at home now. And there was one that came out, I think, the first week in September. And the cover had, it was a picture of some people in the crowd. And it, yeah. the headline was just, Donnington the triumph and the tragedy. Uh-huh. And it just... I think over, I think about 60 or 70 or 80,000 people or something have seen mm-hmm. it by now. And there's been a ton of comments on it from people who were actually at that show mm. and saw what was going on. Yeah. And the, the vivid memories they still have of the fucking crowd surging and everything. And uh, just to read the comments, I'm like, oh my God. Oh. And of course, we had Joel MacGyver on. Mm-hmm. And Joel was at it. Yeah. And one of the things he said uh, this is, you know, no cell phones, no nothing. Yeah. Parents are at home, they hear two kids die. Yeah. And they can't get in touch with their kids. Like, right. What the fuck? Yeah. So you can imagine back then mm-hmm. uh, when a tragedy like that happens. And the, I think Donington was, I think it was 1990, I think, when it came back. I know the following year they definitely didn't have it. Um, I know there was a shit ton of safety protocols brought in yeah, everywhere yeah. because of it. Right. Um and one of the great things about Donington back then was you didn't have to have a ticket beforehand. You could go up on the day of the show. Yeah. That all stopped as mm. well. They couldn't do that because of so many people turning up on that day to see yeah. that bill. And you look at that bill, it was it was Maiden Kiss, David Lee Roth, uh I think Metallica Anthrax, mm. and Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> what a yeah. bill.
0: Yeah, and then, and then Maiden doesn't go back to Donington again until 92.
1: Fear to Dark For tour. Fear of the Dark. Correct. Exactly, yeah. Correct. Yeah.
0: But interesting that, you know, they go from 151 dates and they're doing it, you know, Europe, North America, and Japan to 98 dates, it's only Europe and North America, and it's also like a Germany leg back home, Something back home, North America, it's all, it's broken up as well like that um, with smaller legs. And yeah, again, only only 98 dates on the tour. So it's you know, almost a, you know, is it a third cut out of there? So it's, yeah, it's a lot.
1: Okay. Okay. Did you catch the tour in the States? I did not. Okay.
0: Nope. So that was 88. Then uh, October of 90 is they come out with the next one.
1: No prayer for the dying. the sky. Never I have that on vinyl too. Do you I have st- I was still buying vinyl
0: at this stage. So you have this cover? Yes. And not the other cover.
1: What other cover?
0: There is a remaster cover.
1: Oh no, no. I bought it the day it came out.
0: This guy is gone.
1: No, I bought it the day and it came so out.
0: And so they they've got basically he's it's just kind of a and they've changed Eddie a little bit as well. That is um that's the there's a, a this remaster one on the C D. Yeah, that one. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you can see the difference. They kinda modified it a little so you kinda have to look and go, Oh yeah. Because of course, if you look from a distance too with this, you don't really initially see this guy. So they, they changed it. But yeah. Why? <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. So the interesting thing for this one for me first was that Noah Adrian. Yep. So now you got Yannick and I'm a big Adrian fan. So I had an issue with this. (laughs) I can, you know, when you read through now and you can kind of see where Adrian was at and why he ultimately decided after seventh that he was done. And obviously Yannick is a great substitution for him. He's fit in the band and they've kept him to this day. However, that switch has always made me somewhat biased about Yannick. And I will probably over-criticize him at every show I go to. And granted, he can play his ass off on guitar much more than I can. And he's definitely had a good history before he even got here as well, playing with you know people like Gillen and stuff. But I was very disappointed to see Adrian go, because also, I, I, stylistically, I like, you know, a lot of what Adrian was was bringing in there, too. So, when you start talking about, like, Wasted Years, well, yeah, that's one of my favorite Maiden songs. He wrote that's, the singles. And and so, you know... Adrian he, did. Yeah, exactly. And so, even when, you know, when you go to Sanjutsu, and they put out that first single, as soon as I heard it, I was like, Adrian. Writing on yeah, the wall. Yeah, you know, you could just, you for whatever reason, I could pick it up. So... That was my big stumbling block on this was that, you know, this was without Adrian. It was great that it had everybody else and included having Martin Birch on here, doing everything that, that Martin does. Um, And it was great that I really liked the first song on it. So I was like, Oh good. Yeah. Tailgunner, I'm digging this. So that was definitely a, uh, you know, a great one. And then at the time was interesting is that my drummer his dad was actually a, a ball turret gunner in World War II, um, which was if the plane didn't have its wheels when it came to land, basically the ball turret gunner could kiss his ass goodbye because you were not going to land on him. So that, just that whole idea of like that kind of tied into kind of where I thought at. But I that's kind of like one of my favorite tracks on this is Tail Gunner. It's interesting, too, that this one's sonically a little different. You know, they talk about it being at Barnyard Studios, which is Steve's house and a barn and not quite ready for primetime studio. So it was kind of like, I've got a place we're going to record there. So not quite, you know, some of the other classic English barn studios like, you know, where uh, we talked to. um, Who's the guy who did Ozzy? Ozzy's first
1: two albums. Max Norman.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and, and that was basically that was a barn. Mm-hmm. But it had been treated, and it had a little bit more going for it than this. So there is a little bit different sonically on this, I think, because of that. But, yeah, I think I like the, you know, kind of a return back to more of a classic Killers kind of album cover. Not quite. A little weird coloration well, in there, but...
1: That album is Steve, I think, mm-hmm. saying, we did the big bombastic album before. Yeah. Um, we're going to just write... Four minute songs
0: Yes Yeah I would agree with that Yep
1: Um, I know Bruce and some of the guys Have come out over the years And I think Bruce has said That that record Sounds like shit Uh More or less Yeah I don't like it Okay Um, My history with that uh, The night we're recording This uh, September 23rd 1990 Yeah Iron Maiden played Their first show in Ireland Oh Okay. Um at the point depot. Yeah. I still have the ticket stub. Um that hadn't even come out. Yeah. Uh Holy Smoke had. Okay. Um I think the, I don't know what's worse, that song or the video. <laughs> um I thought for a first single from a maiden record, uh huh, it was poor. Yeah. Um when you look at the, the songs that have come before right. as the singles. Um, it, it it wasn't great. The video, was that the lead-off single on yeah, this? Yeah.
0: Okay, because I was going to say, so, cause, yeah, because this came out in October, so yeah, that would have been really close. So yeah. they probably would only have the one.
1: So Holy Smoke came out. The video is probably, I think the video probably costs less than Jump to make. <laughs> if if you, you should go back on YouTube and look at the video. Yeah. It is terrible. Um, So they played the Dublin show, and they opened with, I remember they opened with Tail Gunner, no, but this is before the album was even out. Sure, um, I know they played the title track. Yeah, and I think, I think they played. Uh, Bring your daughter. N- I they might have played that. But I think they played. Uh, Fate's warning. Okay, interesting. I, I think they played that. I do. They did play the title track, and they did play Tail Gunner, and they did play Holy Smoke. Um, the other interesting thing about that show was uh Wolfsbane supported him. <laughs> really plays Bailey. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um who were excellent. Soon to be part of our story
0: in the yeah. next episode. <laughs> yeah.
1: Who were, who were excellent. Yeah. Um I I loved Wolfsbane back then. Mm. I thought they were a breath of fresh air uh especially when it came to the UK rock scene. Um because all your, as much as I love Thunder, um you know, you had these bands that had an edge to them coming through, like The Almighty and Wolfsbane, and they had a bit more of an energy yeah. to them. Mm-hmm. Um, did a bit more dirt under their fingernails kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and Wolfsbane were really good. Uh, Maiden were, of course, first time seeing them live, they fucking blew me away. Um, but I do remember, uh, and a couple of guys on Facebook have actually said this to me, um one of the issues at back then in Ireland and England at the time was for for some fucking stupid reason, and I could never understand this they'd spit at the band, yeah, okay, and I know that Anthrax had issues with it in I think it might have been in Belfast or somewhere where they were spitting at the band and they 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 weren't fucking having it, and I don't blame' them it's a yeah. disgusting thing to do but I do remember w- watching Wolfsbane play and the guitar player just being covered in spit. Yeah. And I'm, 1990, what was I, 1920, and I'm looking up at him and I'm like, that's fucking wrong. That is just wrong. Yeah, and I don't care how they spin it that, you know, it's a sh- sign of affection or something like that. <laughs> so that they'll, they'll, honest to God, they'll spin yeah. it that way. Oh, yeah, I know. But he got covered.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and a lot of it came out of the, I mean, the the punks were doing that. of course, you're the
1: support act, right? Yeah. So you kind of have to bear it. right. Maiden, come on. Yeah. Right, they start. uh Dickinson, you've seen videos of Dickinson over the years. This is where I can say that I saw him do this. Yeah. Right? He stops the show. Mm -hmm. Right? Warns the guys. Yeah. Right? Because I think it's on Yannick's side that we're doing it. Okay. So they're spitting. They're constantly spitting at him, right? Yeah. And they kept doing it. Dickinson went fucking ballistic. Yeah. You know, and, and you can imagine now, Iron Maiden are playing their first show in Ireland um, since they started. Yep. Can you imagine those guys, if the guys in the crowd, if they were the reason that Maiden walked off the stage, they'd, they'd be dead. They'd yeah. They'd get the shit kicked out of them, right? Yeah. But Dickinson tore them a new asshole. Huh. Fuck that! guy you fucking? fuck that. No, of course we were all like, yeah, <laughs> we were all fucking kids. Yeah, but um, they didn't do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this record, um, very patchy. Uh, bring your daughter to the slaughters. Crap. Sorry, never liked it. Huh. Uh, that 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 is their only number one single in England. Sure. And it, I mean,
0: it already had a bump up because it was, you know, already coming off of, of what mm. Bruce had done before and it had the soundtrack bump Lighting and everything Street, else. Isn't yeah. It?
1: Yeah. Um, Tail Gunner's excellent. Holy smoke. Yeah. I really do like the title track. Mm. Public Enemy number 1's okay. Fate's Warning is, is good, really good. Yeah. The Assassin kind of goes nowhere. Yeah. You better watch out on The Assassin. Better watch out. On the, yeah. You know, uh, Running Silent, Running Deep is really good. And it's a great title, too. Right. Hooks in You. Adrian's song, one of his weakest songs he ever wrote. Yeah. Never really liked it. Mother Russia is the you know, the the epic. Right. Instead yeah. patch of patching any I the think, I think the the of the other ones. I think the only credit that
0: Adrian has on this is
1: Hooks, Hooks in the It's not yeah. a great song. Yeah. I don't think I think it's a weak song.
0: Yeah, well he I think, you know, he's like kind of a leftover and he's halfway out, so
1: This yeah. to me, when it came out, was the worst Iron Maiden record I'd heard. Hmm. And I think up I, I still stand by that up until th- this came out. If someone would say to me, Richard, yeah. what's, out of the first yeah. decade of the of the band, what, what's your worst maiden mm-hmm. record? I'd still say this one.
0: Yeah. And then they, you know, so they're touring this. They do the No Prayer on the Road tour, 106 states, England, North America, Japan. So, again, they're still down from somewhere in time. And, you know, you had the Japan leg on there. Yeah, that's probably where they go from the ninety eight hundred some odd dates to hundred and six dates. So not a yeah, not a lot there either. So I think that the fan reception is a little bit telling in what they could do to support it.
1: Did Yannick write on No Prayer?
0: Uh I don't know. I don't
1: think he did. I think he was brought in when it was more or less written because yeah. Adrian has a, a a writing credit on it. Um, I never really had the issue with Yannick that everybody else does, because you know, the, is he is he plugged in kind of a thing? Yeah. And I, I'm not one of these guys that you, you know they say oh, I I just want the five of them. Uh-huh. I don't want the five of them and Yannick. Yeah. Um. He obviously brings something to the band. They're all happy with a minute. I st- I still maintain that he writes really good stuff with the band. Um, I think the title track to the Book of Souls that he wrote is excellent. Yeah, I just,
0: again, you know, I'm an Adrian guy. And so I already had that. And then just the way the band looked on stage, the way the personalities were, that kind of that balance, I guess. So if, if ACDC replaced Cliff Williams... I know I'm comparing a bassist and a guitar player, but if they replace Cliff Williams with a guy that jumps around and puts his feet up on stuff and all that, it visually throws the balance of the band off where you have, you know, and it's, I never thought about it this way, but you basically, you've got two guys up front, you know, and in Maiden, it's it's Bruce and Ari, right? And you've got two guys in the back, which happen to be Adrian and Dave, right? And then at ACDC, you had got two guys in the front and it's Angus and, you know, um, and it was Brian or it was Bond, yeah. but it was always the two guys. And you had Malcolm and you had Cliff in the back. And it visually seemed to work from the stage. There wasn't a lot going on. And then you have this, this situation of, especially it's more apparent now, where you've got those same original guys that tend to be more in the back. And then you have this other third guy who tends to be up around the front a lot and doing stuff. And it just... From, I, it's I don't know I'm weird but it just kind of throws me off.
1: I think a lot of the thing, a lot of things. With Yannick, it's not Yannick's fault. Adrian left. That's one. No, thing. No, it's 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 right? definitely not. No. Nope. Okay, so let's yep. get that out of the yep. way. The other thing, take the visuals out of it. Uh-huh. The other thing I think people have a problem with is all those albums had two guitar players on yep. it. So what is Yannick playing that? To add to that. right, and he's
0: explained that, but it is weird because you, you do touch on something there too. Because yeah, I definitely have this thing of there's a lead guitar player, there's a rhythm guitar player, or in the case of like Priest, you knew how they got divided up, and you're and you're like, what does the third guy do? Now, granted, you had especially in southern rock, you had several bands with three guitar players, but they all had unique, interesting niches. So you you know you had the guy who was the slide specialist, you know, you had the guy that was more the rhythm. You had the guy that was more the lead. So it was weird to have a metal band with three guitar players. And it's like, you know, is there's this defined lead rhythm role? And it kind of, it, it got weird for me with that too. But I mean, again, Yannick is not a slouch player at all. He can really play his ass off and yeah, he's not unplugged. You know, even now he's still, he's respectful of the, of the legacy about everything else as well. And so you know, I don't fault him for any of that at all. And
1: he definitely had a tough gig to go into. He's been in the band for 32 years. Yeah, yeah, I know <laughs> he's not and a blue in you you, know? And you still get assholes like me that hold <laughs>
0: something against him. I know. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I have my issues. That's that's one of them, right there. Um, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm aware of it, and I'm not working on it. But you're right. I mean, he's, he's he's been in there for a long time he's plugged through and he's always been contributing you know all of that so yeah. again i keep saying good stuff about him why do i have a problem i don't know mm. problem's probably me but yeah you know again a little bit weak on on the catalog but yeah, again interesting times you know with the changeovers with all of that as well so yeah it's you know again interesting but then you've got the it's it's weird they start going in this two-year gap cadence so we get to to, they tend to like to do things in the spring, too. So May of 92, they do um, Fear of the Dark.
1: So I have, um, I've got Martin Popoff's Day by Day book. Yeah, yeah, I have it right. on the
0: shelf there somewhere. And yeah.
1: the one thing I notice when you look through that is Maiden nearly always recorded in the winter. Yeah. Record in the winter, get the Alton Mountain in the spring, yep. get, out, get your yeah. ass out on the road in the summer. Yep, and
0: it was always record the winter in a real shitty place where you were confined and couldn't get away and had to work. <laughs> 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 which is, although, you know, then you look at, you know, like Power Slave, which was done in some sunny but uh there were you know a lot of these things of being like confined on jersey and stuff but i think at a certain point too if i remember correctly some of that started to backfire and they just weren't getting done what they needed to get done and they had to kind of change a plan as well first thing on this one of course is it's not a derrick ring
1: no he's it. gone
0: it's i don't it's not
1: eddie it's it, lo- it actually looks better on the vinyl i've never had the vinyl it's um, a it's it a like vinyl. a
0: fairy creature or a hobbit or that or a golem from lord of the rings yeah, yeah. you know what i mean but yeah. it's not eddie and then of course they try to duplicate him on the back to an even more horrible effect mm-hmm. which this looks ridiculous so definitely i mean yeah the, the bottom half okay good classic maiden classic maiden coloring for it all of that but otherwise i'm like ah, it's not working for me you know they must have saw something within it i like the lettering on it I like the coloration on it but you know picture wise I'm not that big of a fan on it. Uh but interesting album. Unfortunately this will be the last time we hear Bruce Dickinson for a long time on this one as well. So you've got, you know, Bruce's last one, Martin Birch's. Yeah, and then and it's interesting too because this is the one where it is co-produced by Martin and Steve. Mm-hmm. However, they do return back to Remember, they used to give him the nicknames, and he is Martin the Juggler on this one <laughs> because he's doing the engineering, producing, mixing, mastering. But there's a co-production credit with Steve on this. Um, again, back at Steve's house, but now they've added to it and officially calling it the the barnyard. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting, too, where Steve has now stepped in a lot more in this and kind of asserted himself more. And it's almost... It's almost what he's continued to to do to this day with Kevin Shirley as well. It's like a, a Steve and Kevin, although I think I think Kevin is a little bit more assertive back from what I see and has some strong ideas. So I think there's a little bit more of a a balanced imbalance there. But um, yeah, kind of you know, kind of interesting on this one that uh, you know again more changes. On here. I mean, yeah, things have to change, but I don't know. I think, you know, Be Quick and Be Dead, that one's pretty good. Uh, Childhood's End was kind of good too. Title track, they're still doing it now, and I still like it live as well. So there are some good things on here. Uh, it still didn't grab me as much as the earlier stuff. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think this was the band embracing the CD age. Hmm. Um, 12 tracks the last record I think had 10 Yeah I think so Um, I think this one is close to an hour long Uh, So yeah, yeah. this was the first Maiden album I bought on CD Really? I just, I left vinyl The last two vinyl records I bought were Van Halen's For Unlawful Carol Knowledge Uh huh and Dan Reed networks the Heat, hmm. and they were ninety one. I think, I think Van Halen's one is ninety one. And the funny thing is, um, I still have the vinyl for that with the with the promo sticker on it for Pound Cake, and I think the thing's worth a couple of hundred dollars. I
0: would, I would cross reference that on Discogs and see what the value is it's on a, that. I think
1: it's a couple of hundred.
0: Yeah, because it, it, you know, and, and it, may, it may come to, down to also. Because there could be, there's going to be several pressings of that, and then checking what the runout groups say on it. Because yeah, it's I don't know if you ever use Discogs at all. Sometimes great resource. I know I was looking the other day, and it just happened to be, as I know, what's like your favorite band is. I was checking something on Rush. So mysteriously, the <laughs> the original Rush album, the first the first one with uh, Rutsy on it. So I had one of the early promo copies of that i have every other rush album that i had before i moved out of the house that one is missing <laughs> and what are you uh, hitting at? <laughs> <laughs> and i know that so this was the promo one this was not so the interesting thing is is the first one the first moon pressing that was done which i didn't have because this would have been the promo for the U.S. market, but that moon pressing has a, um, an average price of 2900 bucks. So this one that I am missing is somewhere in the neighborhood of anywhere from 700 to $1,200. I have all of the other ones, because when Neil passed, I had done a tweet where I pulled all those original vinyls out to take a picture, and it was like, son of a bitch, where's the first one? And there's a couple other things in R as well that I'm missing. But it's like, I had this. I <laughs> I had this from release day. Where the fuck is it? But yeah, it was. It's interesting. So yeah, look in Discogs, cause you might find out that that's worth a, a good chunk.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not selling I, it, but
0: oh uh, no, I yeah. I just it's, it's good to see. Hey, you know, like how much do you want to make sure you take care of it kind of a thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So back to this record. First single that came out, first song I heard on this was Be Quick or Be Dead. I thought it was great. Uh, I thought it sounded better than anything on No Prayer for the Dying. Yes. Uh, The mix was better. It just had more punch to it. Um, The record itself, again, uh, I think is patchy. Um, when it's great, it's great mm-hmm. uh, Be Quick or Be Dead, first single From Here to Eternity was a single It's it's a sing-along, kind of chanty, kind yeah. of a chorus thing yeah. It's a, it's set up for a Maiden single I love Afraid to Shoot Strangers um, And of course, uh, that's a Steve song um, When I saw Maiden play uh, they, they were revisiting the Maiden England al- album uh-huh. Uh huh. One of the and of course they had Yannick in the band again, but they played so, a lot of the Seven Sons stuff. Title track, Moonchild, Infinite Dreams. They played half of it, but one of the songs they did play was "Afraid to Shoot Strangers," hmm. and I thought it was brilliant.
0: Wow, that's an interesting yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and I think so, I think some of that might might have been to, you know, we're going to play something that Yannick does the solo on. Okay, it, or, or, yeah, you know, makes just sense. To, just to play, give yeah. placate him a little sure. bit. Um, maybe I'm way off. No, terrible. but that
0: would that would be a good reason why they why it was an odd choice, but why they would do it. Yeah, yeah. So they were
1: playing more or less the Made in England show, and uh-huh. then they put that song in as well. And I thought it was great. Uh, Fear is the key. I love uh, Childhood's End. I like as well. Wasting Love is was uh, the interesting thing about that. That was released as a single only in Holland, and the CD uh-huh. single cover does not have Eddie on it interesting so, yeah, so you and they look, do a lot
0: of they do a lot of different releases in Holland too Yeah, so you that. can look
1: you can look that one up um it's a different very different song for maiden very like ballad uh co wrote that uh the fugitive yeah, the, like the, the second half kind of kind of you know goes off a cliff a little uh-huh. bit. um the apparitions terrible um just goes nowhere uh Judas be my guide is underrated. It's kind of buried at the back end of the record. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, Weekend Warriors is about football hooliganism. Yeah. That's one of the songs, if it was a 10-song album, you kind of go, yeah, B-side. Right. Um, Fear the Dark. Okay. Yeah, I can understand why it's still in the set because the whole crowd singing exactly, and all that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's, f- it's fucking 50 songs I'd rather hear <laughs> made and played out and than Fear the Dark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some songs on this album I'd love to play instead of that one but you can understand why they still play they still play that song but overall as a record it's better than No Prayer it's not as good as Seven Son and of course soon after this Bruce announced he was out of there there. so within the space of three records you had your lead singer leaving and you also had the guy that probably wrote the catchiest songs that were set up for singles in the band
0: yeah i mean it's it's a really again compact in the space of six years like a lot of turnover there and and shit that changed and yeah it's it's and and musically too oh yeah they've changed a lot too that you know you you like you, you said it earlier that um once they get into this era too that they don't have the dirt under their fingers anymore. You know, it's just not there. It's it's different. They still are, you know, highly talented, and they can play their asses off, and they can be technically brilliant when they want to be. Uh, I think you definitely see um, a lot, not just even a lot, a shitload more of Steve's progressive leanings when you get into this era as well. And then it continues uh, yeah, I think you definitely see that, and it's it's. I think that if you were to take Fear of the Dark and you were to go back and put that on in the Soundhouse, people would be like, "What the fuck is this?" And I don't think that that would have had the same reception that you know that they had had when you go in and pop in Child. So yeah, it's it's interesting, and yeah, bands change and all that, but it is it's it's a lot different. It's a lot different even than three albums before it, mm-hmm. you know? And then, and, you know, and, and also as, you know, kind of a little bit of an indication too is that, you know, they go to the the the, the Fear of the Dark tour and
1: it's 65 dates. That's it. Donington, the headline Donington. The,
0: yeah, so the Donington, was, second appearance of Donington. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, 65 dates for this one. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a, big drop
1: well the musical climate was definitely changing um yes the maiden oh, yeah. were no longer cutting edge i you could say that maiden were like what punk band saw the likes of led zeppelin and yes yeah i think the i mean the was
0: old hat the thing with with maiden is i mean they they definitely have um loyal long-term fans so even though you know they they aren't the same band that i was so enamored with when killers came out when iron maiden came out i'm still buying their stuff and i still find something to like in every album and i'm still going to see them live even on the tours that are not greatest hits tours for the lack of a better way of terming it so yeah they you know so it's they're an interesting band in that you're willing to tolerate or abide by all of the other vagaries they decide to do along the way, and somewhere in there you get something that you like out of it.
1: It's not day, as much as Steve.
0: Yes, you're, you are right. It is Steve.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So whatever he, I've I've brought this up on the show numerous times before. I there's many things that I love Steve Harris for. Uh huh for everything that he's done but yeah. there's some t- things that he does that just fucking drives me mad <laughs> that he his stubbornness is great yeah the fact you know he's, yeah. he's, he's he has a vision of what the band's going to be and that's fantastic yeah and his stubbornness drives me fucking mad sometimes <laughs> as well because of that
0: yeah um yeah. what's interesting about him too and maybe it's part of what gets a little bit of the forgiveness is yes he is incredibly stubborn but he's also incredibly loyal. And, you know, I mean, he goes out and, you know, plays with people in British Lion that he played with fucking years ago st- that he's still friends with.
1: He plays bars with them.
0: Exactly. He's like
1: Vivian Campbell. Right? Yeah, that, yeah. You know, they can go and play fucking fifty, right. sixty thousand 60,000 people right. and he's still willing to fucking slob sl- it out. Right. In or, bar or, you and know, play. he's
0: still he's still in contact with almost everybody that's been in and out of the band in the early days and stuff like that. So he does have a intense loyalty to people as they, you know, as he goes through, as opposed to being like, you know, I'm Steve Harris and like, Oh, fuck the rest of you kind of thing. So there's, there's a a cool side to that as well. That's kind of endearing, but at the same time, you're right. He is very single minded on what he wants to do.
1: Yeah. It's his band. It's always been his band from day one. Yep. It's him and it's Rod. Yeah. And if if you don't fit into their mindset uh-huh. or plan, yeah, you're you're out of there.
0: Yeah. So yeah, and and, and yeah, we are f- and at this point with these three albums, we are firmly entrenched in that. Yeah. You know, it it's not only is it they're recording things at Steve's house. He is now co-producing yep. he is doing the lion's share of the writing and the conceptualization and all of that where uh, you know there was definitely still an undercurrent of a lot of that before but now it's very much over
1: well i think with bruce he wrote really well with adrian and he was gone um i think bruce at the time this album came out Again, this is the old chestnut, you know. Oh, but he, say, he said this in an interview, and I'm like, you believe everything this is <laughs> in, interview, in interviews? Interviews to me, I love doing interviews, but honesty is something that you hope for. It's not a given. Yep. yep. <laughs> and sometimes you can smell the bullshit. Yeah. Um, I do remember Bruce at the time when this album came out saying he was, you know, he, he'd done the solo album, I think, before then. Yeah. And... People were questioning his loyalty to Maiden, and, mm-hmm. and he said, No, I'm we're doing a new record, the, you know. And then when the record came out, you know, I love being in the band and everything like that. And, yeah, oh, I'm <sighs> leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so of course, that's that's the next episode where what the fuck are we going to do now? To, you know, yeah, Bruce is gone. Yeah, this is it, it is. Uh,
0: it's it's interesting that we're doing this in, in and it just seems like from a, a, a chapter perspective, it's almost fitting perfect that you had those classic three. Then you have the next ones where where you kind of have the so the classic three kind of with the original people that got into it and kind of the old fucks like me and then, and kind of the new album part of it. And then you have this, for lack of a better term, the classic three albums that a lot of people realized the greatness of maiden and came on board. It was right for the rock scene in America at the same time too. They were able to break that market wide open, huge singles, all of that for those three as well. And this, a lot of reverence for those albums And you get these, and now you're clearly in this transition of beloved personnel leaving, sonically things are changing, there's a lot more movement in these, and you come out of this chapter, and it's pretty much almost like a new ballgame for the next three.
1: When you look at Fear the Dark, and you look at the first album, it's only Dave and Steve are the two guys that are left, Yep. so it's it's. For want of a better word, it's a different band yep. completely.
0: Yeah, and Dave has always been the just quiet, the quiet, quiet. Yeah. passive, go in, be brilliant with what you do. Listen and write. Yeah, and, but otherwise, you know, and in an interview, he's just kind of the cheery, happy, he says a little quip and off he goes. There's yeah. no...
1: You know, when, when he does interviews, he yeah, doesn't do many.
0: It's very he, he and you know, it's more like a, you ask him for a, a one line comment and he'll toss something off, kind of a thing. He doesn't do yeah, a, really any long interviews.
1: Let's put it this way: you never read about Dave Murray on Blabbermouth. No, no, not at all, because <laughs> he has nothing no, controversial he to just, say.
0: He he just he's like, I'm showing up, I'm playing guitar, and I'm happy I get to do this for my life. You know, and okay, that's fine. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that it's, yeah, it's pretty much the, kind of the, the one really strong person, the manager and the silent partner Dave, over here.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is, it is an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic. Yeah. Um, you have to have a certain mindset to be able to do that. Yeah. To just accept it. Uh-huh. Excel at it. Yeah. Because he has, he's been in the band. Oh, yeah. For you know, since, yeah. since the first record. Yeah. And, um. And too lot when you when you talk about Maiden to a lot of people, they'll always bring up Dave. Yeah. You know, he's he's not the he's not the front man of the band, nope. he's not the right the main writer of the band. A, a, a lot of Maiden fans love the guy. Mm-hmm. And he's a quiet one. Yeah. You know, he's 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 just there. Uh-huh. He's like Cliff Williams in A C D C. He's just yeah. there. He's just there. The yeah. rock solid in the yeah. back He yeah. comes out, plays some great leads. Yeah. And goes back
0: and that's it. And he always looks happy as a pig and shit when he's playing on stage. Yeah, He's never, you know, because you you look at, uh, you know, you take like Aerosmith, right? Where there's always this reverence for Joe, right? And Joe was a huge influence on me growing up too. But at the same time, you know, on the other side of it, you had Brad, who was an equally brilliant lead player great writer as well he just didn't get that same cachet and you know you see that brad's out there he's playing and all that and i think he loves doing what he's doing too but he never looks as happy as as dave Murray does dave always just looks like this is freaking great and i'm happy and, and and there's like this different thing but it to me it's kind of the, the same thing where somebody else is, is always that thing in front and not you. And you just kind of go along and you do it.
1: How many lead guitar players do you know that hardly ever write music for a band? I can't think of any. Uh, (laughs) Dave writes the odd one, but it's very rare he gets some credit on a record. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely
0: players out there that are the lead that... They're like, kind of like the known guitar player, but if you really dig in to find out who wrote the parts, it's more likely the rhythm guy mm. or, no, or it's the have, singer. Let's, let's
1: just say that have writing credits then. Yeah. There's not that many lead guitarists out there that don't really have any writing credits on records.
0: Yeah. Well, you got to be careful with credits too, because credits are always a political game. Well,
1: I have to go with something, you know, I, I know, but it's,
0: it's, it's a fucking Pandora's box. When you start talking about credits because it's not always, you know, I mean, I mean, that's why, you know, eventually why Foreigner blew apart is Mick. Yeah. And, you know, it's clearly there were other people that were doing it. And, you know, and finally Lou was like, are you fucking serious? Like I wrote the words, the fuck isn't my name on here.
1: Because I want all the money, yeah, so <laughs> you know so
0: there is there is that my band, but i I think you you know you will see especially when you start talking about some of the bands that were pretty much within within hair metal where you you kind of have that that flashy lead player, so I mean he does have some credits, but you don't see like Warren's name on every rat song you see a lot of of Crosby Piercy, but you don't see a lot of Martini.
1: If you looked at Rat's catalog and compared it to Maidens, Rat's catalog is a lot less. And I bet oh, you Warren it, it has is. more credits it, than Dave Murray. Yeah,
0: so it is. But I'm just as an example of here's a here's a lead guitar player okay. that is, you know, pretty well known. And you know that he contributed a lot more to the songs than he's probably being attributed to. And there's some, yeah, like, yeah, is he on Cool Jr.? Well, yeah, because it was his freaking riff. And they based it all on that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a unique you know warren thing and you know yeah so i'm not a little too biased about warren but <laughs> that you know i basically made a warren guitar um but yeah i mean but you know so you do have players like that that i think have contribution it's whether they want to be recognized or like you're you talking about does somebody want to give up the money to them
1: yeah yeah just going down a rabbit hole again. we are no we do that we do that
0: so here we go. We, we've covered, you know, from 88 to 92. Uh, we're doing a pretty good pace for this, getting through through the Maiden catalog.
1: The next ones are going to be interesting. The, yes. And I'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah, they will be. Yeah, definitely. Because, yeah, then now we're, now we're pretty much in the, for me anyways, I'm not as firmly in Maiden roadmap anymore. I got other shit going on. And those releases didn't engage me as strongly as earlier ones as well.
1: Okay. You know, and there Which was a we'll lot of to. other
0: shit going in. So yeah. but I think for this week, I think we've we've covered this uh six year stretch.
1: Mm. And of course, before I go, um if you want to hear a really cool story about Fear the Dark, uh-huh. uh huh, go back and listen to Joey Allen's episode. Mm.
0: And the episodes that Richie is referring to are episodes 534 and 535 that you can find on focusonmetalpod.com, up on Amazon, up on iTunes. And in particular, if you want to hear the Maiden stories, that would be on episode 535, where he starts talking about the whole touring behind the Doggy Dog album.
1: Uh, right. Warren went out and supported Maiden on this run. And he tells a really cool story about sitting right behind Nico for a whole show. Uh huh. And Joey Allen from Warrant is a massive Iron Maiden fan. Yeah. And just go back and listen to that episode. It's. It, I think it was a really cool story he told.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I think that is a wrap for this week. So, uh yep, this puppy is done. So for myself and... Hope the Irons. Have yourselves a great meta week. And until we talk to you again, as always, remember... Focus on metal! Everything
1: else is insignificant.